Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode 188, and I want you to do me a favor. So whatever you're doing, just focus, and if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but I want you to just think about yourself sitting in a doctor's chair, and your skull is wide open, your brain is exposed, and doctors are working on removing a brain tumor from your head. What would you be thinking about as you're sitting there awake and they're working on removing that cancer? And what would you think is important when you're done in trying to recover? My guess is you would start reprioritizing a lot of things in your life. Would you be thinking about how you can sell your company as fast as possible and enjoy time with your family and friends? Or would you be trying to think about how you can help others understand what it's like to look death in the face and how to recalibrate their perspective on challenges and their business. Well, I'll tell you what, as you're going through this thought in your head, this episode is going to be extremely beneficial for you because our guest on the show today, his name is Andy Billman, and that is the exact situation that he experienced this last year, and he is going out, and he's on the show today, and he's making a tour of helping entrepreneurs understand how to take their obstacles, recalibrate their mind, and use their business and their lives to help change others. And Andy has quite the experience where he was in the grind and he was in the the chase and the adrenaline rush of doing acquisitions. He did 14 acquisitions when he was the president of Worthington Cylinders, which is a $1.1 billion global leader of pressure vessels where they had 3,400 employees and they did those 14 acquisitions in five years. He also had a stint as an entrepreneur of a privately held company where he was a minority shareholder. He got sued by the seller. They ended up going to bankruptcy and then he is now working at a family office where they're acquiring mid-market privately held companies. And Andy's on the show to not only share his ups and downs of acquisitions, what he experienced as those entrepreneurs and their mindset as they were trying to sell, what good looks like from a buyer's perspective, but then how you can take his experience of facing death to reflect on what's important for you and for your business and for your life. Because the last thing you want to do is wait for some life event to happen, smack you upside the face and regret not living it and making the changes and the impact that you want while you own your company. 
what I love about this is Andy shows us as a model that you can go out there, you can still be acquiring companies, you can still be in the hustle of being an entrepreneur, but be doing it with a perspective that life is finite, people are also people, how do we integrate business, M&A, and humans, and the long game of life into one journey that we enjoy and that makes an impact on others. I can't tell you how much I respect Andy, the journey he's on to help others like you realize today without that big life event that there are things to enjoy, things that you could be doing, and how to integrate the human side into business and enjoy everything that you have built. If you want to know more about how you can integrate what you eventually want with the final outcome and the value creation of your company, check out one of our two-day boot camps. It'll help you understand the five principles and how to intentionally grow the value of your company with the end in mind. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with Andy Billman. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. Andy, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing? Doing good. We got it all set up on the podcast and the Zoom link here. And then uh, I think we should have for a fun conversation. We got uh, introduced by a mutual friend of ours who owns his own business. And he's been, a, I don't know if he just is being sympathetic and been such a loyal listener. <laughs> and he actually thinks I'm interesting. So uh, he recommended that you and I touch base. And I heard your story. And I was like, hey, just the stuff that you've gone through, the experience at the age that you have, I'm uh, excited to have you on the show because you've got a lot to share and a lot of things to put people into perspective or put things into perspective for people. And so for the people that don't know who you are, why don't you kind of give an, a cliff note version of, you know, what, it, what, you know, how did you become an entrepreneur and get into the involved in this business space? And then some of the big things that you're dealing with now and kind of what's, what's on your, uh, your plate these days. Yeah, sure. So, um, appreciate the opportunity to share that story and how to how they uh, become an entrepreneur. The true story is um, my my dad was a high school football coach and a former Marine. And uh, how did they become an entrepreneur? I think my dad said, "You better get your ass out and start mowing some grass, <laughs> make some money, and <laughs> figure out how to buy your own uh, car when when you're a youngster." But um, yeah, so you know, I've always just had kind of that spirit inside and. You know, whether it was during high school or college, I was always hustling and, you know, running a business and trying to make money and 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 be, uh, you know, helpful to people out there. But I'll just start with just kind of my my story and in, in coming into kind of present day. I'm 51 years old, have four kids and, and two grandkids, and they're the uh, truest blessing in my life. Been married now almost 29 years. Uh, so my wife, who I met in high school, and um, that's how I met the, the good friend that referred me. And um, currently, I am um, a capitalist and work for a very small uh, private family office. And uh, I invest alongside the family and look for necessary businesses to invest in for the long term. And it's a lot of fun. I enjoy that. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the rest of my story um, about some of the things I've done in between. Uh, but currently, I'm fighting brain cancer. When I came into this group about three years ago, one of our first big deals we funded literally three days after we made the investment, I went down to, uh, it's down in Tennessee and went down and had a seizure. And um, 
got admitted to the hospital, had no, you know, prior symptoms or anything going on. Got back to my my home city, which is Columbus, Ohio. That's where I was born and raised, and that's where our business is. Came back and went into uh, the Ohio State Medical Center and their oncology group, and they said, you have a brain tumor. And that's like, you know, when you hear that or you, you hear that from a, a friend or a family member, you're like, holy cow, you know. Uh, brain tumor. That sounds pretty darn serious. I think the last <laughs> thing anybody yeah. wants to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just the worst of the worst. And, you know, my wife's sitting there next to me and like, you know, we're just staring at this, these docs, like, you know, what, what, what do we do? And I, I've always been one of those guys that just kind of receives information, good, bad, or otherwise. And, you know, you, you kind of, you roll with it and you don't suck your thumb and you just say, all right, what are we going to do about this? And, the funny part of that story, my wife didn't think it was too funny. Is, I was going to say, there's got a silver lining that's yeah. funny out of that uh, different one. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I said, okay, when do I, what, what do I do? And they said, well, you need surgery, but it um, you know, could be a situation we don't know until we get in your brain um, where you know, this, this tumor has been growing in your brain for a very long time. It's not very large right now, could be probably benign. And I said, great. So I can travel tomorrow and go, go back to the business where I was. And my wife looked at me like, you know, I had three heads. She's like, you really do that. You really do have a brain cancer, you know, but, but I'm just kind of wired that way. And I literally just, I, I went, we scheduled it about a month out and they told us at that time, they said, Hey, here's the thing. Um, since you had this episode, you're likely to have it again and have it in a bigger way we can put you on medication that'll you know, keep you from having these kind of seizures. And, I, and they said, but they make you kind of tired and all that. And I said, well, I'm tired enough as it is. I, do I have to take that? And they're like, oh, it's your choice. So what do I do is I just go back to work and I start traveling for business. And I had a, a bit, you know, kind of a big boy seizure where I went, you know, flat on the floor in a manufacturing plant. And my oh boy. Yeah. And my shoes are shaken out and my partners are freaked out. And they take me to the hospital again, the same hospital. <laughs> and they said, Hey, we really need to put you on this. And one thing leads to another. I come back to Columbus, Ohio. I get an open craniotomy, which is literally for half of the surgery. You're wide awake, which is another strange oh, thing. Crazy, strange, crazy thing to go through. Um, but went through a four and a half hour surgery. Surgeon did a great job. Got got the tumor out. So and this then is brain start, surgery where you're awake. Yes, I don't yeah, even know so, what to say about that. Like that is just like beyond. Well, ridiculous. I learned. Uh, I need I needed to go back to uh, high school to, to learn or remember that you don't have the same kind of uh, oh, receptors right. in, in in your brain pain receptors. So you know they have you in kind of like this twilight zone, and here I am. The, the surgeons oh, got. Oh my got, gosh got my brain open there's like you know what seems like 16 people around me and i'm having a conversation with the brain surgeon and we're laughing and i'm going hey i've never never been able to play an instrument before can you put some of that in there and we're laughing <laughs> oh my gosh i'm i'm not making this up it's just just crazy so long story short they they patch me up and i hate i hate um, I love people at hospitals because they take great care of people, but I get, I get nervous about being in a hospital. So I got out of there as quick as I could, got home and got better. And they put me on this um, extended uh, radiation treatment, which was very difficult. Chemotherapy. Um, I'm on a second line chemotherapy now. 
And unfortunately, we found out from my case, once they did the pathology, that it's a malignant and very obscure case called AA3, anaplastic astrocytoma. There's only about 35 to 3,700 people in the United States that get diagnosed with that a year. And I just kind of smile and say, well, my mom always told me I was special. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of where, where I'm currently uh, in, in the middle of fighting that. I was literally just three days ago in the hospital for another issue and uh, just trying to plow through and figure out a way to, to honestly stay alive. And I don't share this to bum anybody out or anybody that's going through cancer um, of any type right now but you know the odds are real great if you get on the internet it says this particular case you know most people on average live a year to five years and i just say well i'm gonna be the first one to go 50 you know and try to try to grab a hold of that attitude i still work every day and try to be helpful to my current firm and you know just excited about living life and uh it's been honestly the greatest blessing in my life to get this diagnosis which kind of when I, especially when I meet strangers, they, they do look at me a little bit odd. And I say, let me explain why I say that is because I actually, for the first time in my life, I think I actually understand the meaning of life. And, and I know it's easy to say, hard to do, but when I wake up every day and I'm alive and I'm breathing, I just am smiling. I'm like, here we go. Got another day. And the brain cancer you know, it doesn't have to be brain cancer. It could be an accident. It could be a sick child. It could be a family member. When we get kind of shocked into that situation where life changes on you, it changes you. And it has changed me for the better in a way that I just wake up every day with a whole new fresh perspective about how to be helpful to other people, how to be kinder to other people, and I share my story with absolute total strangers because I hope that maybe it'll have an impact on whatever they're going through. Well, and, I, and I'm that's and and I love the fact that you're willing to share it in the middle of it all too, versus coming out from it and then you know waiting till the end to share it. And like, so the the, the interesting tie into you know first of all like what we're going to talk about today, and then entrepreneurs and the listeners and all this stuff is that like I think entrepreneurs, especially the breed that we probably work with a lot is we try and control our destiny, right? So there's a lot, I mean, I struggle with this, honestly, like I was, I mean, even this, yeah, I mean, like you try so hard to, to control all the variables around you, which is why you become an entrepreneur, you take insane amounts of risk. And then you, and, it's, and sometimes it's very difficult to put it all back into perspective, right? Like that you actually can't control this life. <laughs> It's like sure. way out of your control, actually, even though you have this misperception of controlling it. And so like this whole, I think is having this, uh, and I'm curious and like how this ties into your, your perspective is like having a foot in each bucket of like understanding and planning, but then also being a, a, like available to let things happen. And I don't know, I like, sure. have you ever heard the end of the phrase, uh, discipline equals freedom? And it's kind of like this whole, like, you know, if you do the right things that you know you can control, then you, like whatever happens, happens. And um, there's a kind of in the light of what you were talking about, the blessing is there was a, I don't know, I think it was Benjamin Franklin. He said like every third thought, he actually just was like, I'm on this earth and I could die. And it was constantly recalibrating him. I don't know if you ever heard that, but there's kind of like this sure. whole, I don't know if that was just too much of a ramble, but like this control issue ties in, I think, to what you're saying about being having a blessing. And then I don't know how that ties into the journey that you've had. 
Well, it ties in well because, you know, if I can kind of take you back in time a little bit, what I like to say is I've always kind of had a say yes mentality. And yes, being an entrepreneur and being driven and and, and want to succeed in life, whatever that means to you or your family, I've also had a healthy attitude of trial and, and, you know, certain things that I haven't been able to control, including you know, playing college football at a D1 level and getting just absolute, absolutely destroyed and having two seasons that were, we barely won a football game and then kind of turning the thing around and saying yes to a new coach coming in and saying, Hey, we want you to be co-captain and help us turn the bus around and, you know, doing that and then getting, you know, getting a business career off and running and, you know, getting called into a corner office. I remember, my manager, I was at a, a large uh, publicly held steel company based in Columbus, Ohio, and, and all over the all over the country, calling in and saying, "Hey, Billman, you know, there's a there's a position up in Michigan." And my wife was eight months pregnant and had really never been away from Ohio. And I said yes, and I took the job because it was an opportunity to grow and learn. And you know, after ten years of doing that. Had some success, got a little itchy. Here comes the entrepreneurial mindset in my in my head again. And a former client said, "Hey, would you help me come in and and grow my business?" And I said, "Yes, I'll try that." And did it for six years and invested in the business and lost a hundred percent of the money that I put in <laughs> um, and some. So here's here's a huge lesson, right? Now I'm a I'm a, a independent investor. Um, on the smaller side, I, I didn't buy all of it. I bought just enough to, to be dangerous and get an MBA from the, the School of Hard Knocks. But um, to your point, I've always had that entrepreneurial mindset, and I, I did it that you know that time, and I recovered from that because I stepped back and said, "What did I learn from this? How can I grow?" And coincidentally, um, I went back to the same original firm that hired me that I worked for for the first 10 years, which is kind of odd if you think about it. But I, you know, it was the timing was right for them. The timing was good for me. And I came back and, you know, they said, Hey, we want you to run a sales region on the, uh, on the uh, East coast and from move your whole family from, you know, Michigan over that way. And I said, yes, I'll do that. Cause it was a growth opportunity an entrepreneurial opportunity and did that. And that, you know, led to an, another open door and, corporate called and said, Hey, would you want to move back home after 17 years, home being Columbus, Ohio, and be the vice president of purchasing of a billion and a half dollar group? I had never done that at that scale before. Guess what I said? Yeah. I said, yes, I'll do that. That's a, that's a great growth opportunity. And, you know, went, went back to work for them for another 10 years and learned. And then they said, Hey, would you want to put your name in the hat to be president of this $500 million division? I said, yes, I didn't think I'd had a, a chance in hell of getting that job. Board said, hey, let's let's get this young guy a shot. And uh, we had a lot of success, mainly because of the team around me. And we more than doubled the business, turned it into a billion-dollar entity and 3,400 people and had a ball doing it. And then um, early in 2016, I got removed from that role because we had grown very, very fast. The business has got very complicated. COO comes in and says, Billman, you're out. <laughs> so there's the, you know, obstacle is the, is the way and another hard, hard lesson and a punch in the stomach. And, you know, you reflect on that and I'm in my now late forties. Okay. What am I going to do? I basically just got fired. Could have stayed there and, and had a, 
a job in some other department, but I, I chose to get out of the way and, you know, figure out what I was going to do. And then I joined, you know, the, this new group that I'm with and I love that. And then I get brain cancer. <laughs> so, you know, the point is, wow, this guy has either got some really, really bad luck <laughs> or he's just, he's just going through life like all of us. Right. right Cause just, right. It, just, just insert your calamity, your issue, you, you you lost your job. Your your kid is sick. Your your relationship with your wife is not where you want it to be. Whatever, and um, you know I'm just passionate about sharing that with other people because I've been through a lot, and I'm sure I'll go through a lot in 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 front of me. And one of the one of the things that we had talked about on the phone previously, Andy, when you were talking about like that first, and we can because I think you have a lot to share in that in that uh, the the kind of the journey you give an overarching view of is. The, the first one where you said that you had bought in and then you had, you know, I mean, you essentially walked away with nothing or a little bit less than that. So like, you know, what, what are some of the big, t- like, what was, like, what was the business? What was, got, why, why did you decide to, you know, invest into it? And then what were some of the challenges that you guys had as, as like, what, what ended up happening with that? Yeah, great question. So um, the details are the CFO of the company and part owner owned about 25% of the business at that time, wanted to retire. And it created a window where the majority owner and the founder said, Hey, Andy, you're doing great here. You're helping us grow the business. I was really kind of like a VP of sales capacity and said, would you be interested in buying my other partner out? And I, of course, I was always interested in in ownership and trying to find a way into you know that type of situation. So I said, sure. I really didn't have the money. I had four kids, four young kids at that time. I think I was 30, I don't know how old I was, maybe 35 years old. And, um, you know, kind of scraped together the money and, and engineered some um, private debt with a, with a local bank. And here we go and create a legal, <laughs> a legal agreement to basically buy, 20, buy 25% of the company. And I went forward with that. And so I learned so much because I learned a lot about the law and what a legal agreement says, especially if something doesn't go right. So what happened is we were trucking along and decided to move the business to another state and create some capacity. And we did it at the absolute wrong time. So we used all cash and no debt and uh, moved the business, which I, I learned the hard way that any, anybody who wants to move a manufacturing business, that's what it was. Oh boy. Yeah, very, very specialized manufacturing company, by the way, with a lot of equipment from Europe and, and um, tough to move. Um, anytime you think about doing that, just double or triple what your estimates are on a spreadsheet. <laughs> so we, we, we spent a lot of money moving the business and we did it at the wrong time where we happened to hit uh, in the early 2000s, there was there was a little mini downturn where a lot of suppliers actually went bankrupt and they happened to be some of our big clients. And it was this convergence of us absorbing all this cash uh, because the former um, owner, he believed in running kind of a cash business with just a simple line of credit. And we moved the business at the wrong time. We lost a bunch of big customers and all of a sudden we're in a situation where we either go bankrupt or we try to sell the business. And thankfully, we found a suitable buyer because I was very passionate at, uh, to protect the employees. We had dragged 100 plus employees out of state, including their families. 
And that's just a really tough thing to do and a weighty thing to do. And all of a sudden show up as a part owner and say, Hey, sorry guys, things didn't work out. We're going to shut yeah, the business down. No kidding. So we, uh, we, we sold the business successfully and it still continues in a different entity today, but through that whole process, you know, just a really hard time. I'll, again, lost a hundred percent of every dollar that I put in and ended up getting sued in the process, which I had never been sued before. That's a whole nother story. By the, by, for the, another. by the different, uh, by the owner or by the, the buyer? Former, but by the, yeah. but yeah, by, by the, uh, the, the former, um, CFO. And, and by the way, he was, he was, he had every right to do that by the legal agreement. We ended up, you know, settling it and working it out, but just a really tough time for me being in my mid thirties with four kids married, you know, and trying to get through this just messy, messy situation. So I use that and playing, you know, playing college football and growing up with a, with a great mother and father that, you know, taught us, you know, work ethic and life isn't always easy and, 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 I attribute a lot of that to trying to beat brain cancer because, you know, I've been hardened and I've been through some tough stuff. Um, and like I said, that that'll probably continue, but that's kind of the story about that private business mm -hmm. um, that, la that lasted about six years. So like when you look at like, I mean, cause that was early on in your career when you and I were chatting, obviously that that plays a big part in like the next handful of uh, big deals that you were a part of. Cause I mean, I don't know how many acquisitions that you said you were part of it, which is a, you know, lends itself to why you're dealing, why you're investing in small business today. So like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I can open it up and it was like, what, like how you want to dive into the different, you know, transactions, buying and selling the different, you know, ventures of what you've learned. Cause I think, you know, the, the, the big theme here is the perspective, right? It was like, sure. the, there's a lot for business owners to learn that. Like, I mean, obviously life is finite and then there's a lot of like a lot, I, yeah, I just got off a podcast this morning and there's, there's a lot of, as an entrepreneur, you're weighing the intangibles of life of, you know, your family, your, your, your life, like work-life balance or what you're trying to do with the fact that you're not here all the time. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, Andy, you know, it's like gratification later and, or the, I mean, so there's just all this whole balance of like, how do you balance it all? And so like, as you look at like what you've, what you're dealing with now and the perspective that, you know, I don't know if you would have changed the perspective or like as, you know, given that kind of theme, how do you want to dive into like the things that you've learned over the last couple of decades? Well, there, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but I, I would tell you in, in quick succession, you know, when I, when I came back, um, to the original, uh, big publicly held company for this, the second 10 year stint, you know, that was really just trying, trying to get kind of back acclimated and on my feet and, and growing again with the business. When I took over the leadership role, and became became president of the second largest subsidiary of the company. We did 14 acquisitions in four and a half years. We had to sell a lot of businesses. We had to move a lot of business around. So it was just go, go, go. And I learned so much uh, from that experience. And I would say the the perspective, one, one of the things I learned from that is certainly had broad support from our board of directors and senior management and all that. But, you know, I just got done telling me that I'm kind of a say yes, move forward entre entrepreneur guy. At the same time, I'm learning and have learned to be cautious as well. Um, you can say yes to opportunities, acquisitions, what have you, but make sure to surround yourself with people. Um, I don't want to say, say no people, but I, you know what I'm saying. Oh people yeah, for sure. <laughs> people, people that'll help you stay balanced because sometimes 
um, if you're really honest with yourself, and, and I try to be most every day, you can get so entrepreneurial and go forward and we're just going to figure it out. And I am engineered and I'm wired that way. And I think it's so important that every one of us understands not only our individual chemistry, our, our wiring, and I, I'm just wired that way. I'm, I'm the guy you don't want to come say we can't do this because I'm going to tell you every hundred ways how we can do it. And um, you need to be convinced that you can really get yourself in trouble. So then, when you when you look at the like the fourteen acquisitions in four and a half years, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> so, like, what was the size of the companies? What was the kind of the the process of it? And when you think about having this say yes, but you know the balance of the say yes, but also be cautious. Like, how about like you? What are the things that I'm from a you know from a buyer's perspective that you would apply that to, as well as the sellers that were selling to you guys? That you would apply that to. I mean, how would you apply that kind of mentality to both sides? Well, um, from buyer perspective, we were on the buy side, and we were kind of a—I would call it kind of a, a, a two business or two different lines of business, steady state cash flow type company. And what I really did is is challenge the team to spread out and find new lines of business that actually lined up with our natural strength zone, if you will. And one of the examples I'll, I'll share with you that a lot of people on, on the podcast maybe will relate to because they've had maybe some of the same experiences. But for example, we had zero exposure to um, oil and gas as an end market. Um, at that time, oil and gas was trading at $85 a barrel. And we wanted to make these large metal tanks that support that industry. So we go and we invest um, hundreds of millions of dollars. So sizable, um, you know, five different assets across the United States. Everything's great. Oil and gas is, is booming. Here we go. And then next thing you know, you wake up and oil is at $28 a barrel. And, you know, certainly we had, we had modeled those kind of things on a spreadsheet with some, with a lot of help. I didn't just go, you know, jumping into that industry with, with, with some thought, but my point is, um, thoughtful enough to say, hey, what if this thing cycles down to some place that it's never been before in the last 20 years? And I've learned that was one particular example where I learned to do really hard downside cases. And does this business that we're investing in still survive? Do we still make money, for example? And there was a few other examples that I can share, the biggest of which really wasn't related to all these acquisitions we did and how well they ended up doing or not is do you have the team in place to support those acquisitions and back to my say yes let's do it let's grow this company yes we grew the company and we grew ebitda and we grew revenue and all that but but we about uh destroyed the team because you're stretching the team across all these new acquisitions so i wasn't thoughtful enough around what does this mean from a people component standpoint and on and on and on. I could I could tell you all the various different stories. So I'm more cautious now as an individual investor and investor of other people's money. When I look at an acquisition, I really start with the people component. Well, and then so is, is that this, is that is that people like as in like cultures and like the actual integration of the staff? Or are you talking more like advisors? You're probably talking more like the actual people, right? Or like the actual because I think there's a couple different facets here that you've got the advisor side of having the people, but then also, you know, I'm, you know, it, 
I think our listeners can learn a lot of, you know, coming from a big company like you were at, you know, doing the strategic roll-ups like that or the strategic acquisitions. There's a lot of the people on the podcast that have the, the, those people knocking on the door. And the big thing that we always say is understand why they want to buy you, how they're going to structure it, and then what they plan on doing with it afterwards. Because there's a lot of people that are the strategic buyers that they've never really done it before, or they have like a, mm-hmm. a financial target to, to do all, all the, the numbers, but they haven't really thought through the integration. Actually, a gentleman was on my show uh, recently where he had like all the projections that he, cause they, they, he was purchased for over 40 million. And then he realized that like the public company had all these projections, but it was just projections and they had no execution plan. Mm-hmm. So like, um, I'm curious, it's like, you know, how does that, like, what is your perspective on, you know, coming from the buyer's perspective of like having the team and what they maybe kind of expand on that a little bit more? Sure. Um, my perspective, and it's, it's just from a lot of experience is, focus very quickly on the people that actually make money (laughs) for the business. So um, I don't say that lightly, the people that actually transact with your, with the the target company's customers and how are those relationships? Because at the end of the day, if it's private equity, if it's a group like ours, um, that's going to sit at a different level and think we're going to run the business better (laughs) than the people that just forget about it. You really need to get down into the operational details of who who makes this company tick and and why? What are their relationships with key customers, with key suppliers? And I've just learned that the hard way. I think too often um, equity groups or even groups like mine come in and they go, hey, this is a great business. It's a category we like. It's in a geography we like. And the entire, we just passed on one recently where the entire management team is wants to leave. They're in, they're in their later um, ages and there's nobody behind them. <laughs> and we 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 passed. It's a great business, by the way. They make they make gobs of money. It, it's in our target geography. It's manufacturing, which is my strength zone. And I passed on it along with my colleagues and partner because we said there's there's no depth here. There's no team once once they transition. And way too often the sellers will tell you, yeah, we'll stay on you know a year or two. That's code for we're out of here as soon as the money's in the bank and the escrow. <laughs> releases. <laughs> right, right. I'm just I'm just telling now it's you know maybe not every case, but when you see that movie a time or two, you say, wait a minute, let's get to understand Joe or Bob or Sally or whatever their name is out in the manufacturing plant or up in the accounting office, who is making them who is producing the money for the company that we are contemplating investing in. It's all about all about the people. Well, and then I want to I want to peel this apart because I think you have a unique perspective. Um, first of all, because and there's just the, your angles and how you come at this. But the fact that you're a say yes, but then you've also got some bruises to now be cautious, and you've got this mortality there as well. So you have the like it's just it's an interesting lens that you make decisions at, Andy, and because you could go to the short-term distance, but you don't, or the short-term thank you, but you don't. I'm just, so when you look at the 14 acquisitions that you've done and you have these sellers that are selling to you, because I think that there's people that are looking to acquire on the show that are listening to the show and also looking to sell as well. And so it's like, you know, how do you balance the, there's so much emotion in strategic acquisitions and, and especially around the deal where people like they've got a big carrot sitting in front of them, but they also, the buyer wants to get a deal done. Like you said, get exposure to oil and gas. So like, 
what are the things that you see that like maybe some of the blunders of how you realized that there was no depth or did you go through any really hard acquisitions that you just realized you weren't able to get the rate of return that you needed to? And so like everything that you talked about with the, the seller didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. And how did that impact the actual deal? Well, sure. Had, had some of those hard lessons learned and you don't immediately maybe observe that or see that when you're in there and you're, you're, you're excited about the acquisition and you want access to the company and you can talk yourself into saying everything will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you can, let's face it, we can all miss it on people as well. So I would just say for, for me, my lessons are spend a lot of time, um, with the deep people component, but take it a take it a layer deeper. I was probably too quick um, in many cases where you would meet with the actual owner, which you need to do obviously because they're the, they're the seller. If you don't make a deal with them, it's game over, right? So I would stick maybe at that level, but I did I didn't get down to you know the the manufacturing level or the superintendent or or what have you. So that was just a a good lesson learned. If you do make a mistake, which I which I made many. Um, and you know, let's be honest, we'll probably continue. I hope, hope, hope to make less in the future. But when I did have those situations where we actually invested hard money and we bought a company and it didn't work out because we missed something, either the market or the, 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 the person, you know, we either quickly looked to transition and get a team in that business that we could trust and rely on of our own. And that was the strain on the business when I was at the company where we did 14 acquisitions. Often I was in that situation. My team was, our team was where we made an acquisition. Um, it didn't work out from a leadership standpoint. And there, I, then I had to plug in another teammate from another business to say, will you go fix this problem and go over and move your family and run this business we invested in? That's really hard to do. Because mm-hmm. now you're playing, now you're playing catch up. So well, yeah, that's a huge, huge point. And like, I, it's funny because I interviewed another uh, gentleman from a family office here in town, and he said, like, because like, you know, the 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 one thing that I we say to people in our boot camp or like the any any owner that's sitting there and they're talking about reinvesting their business, you know, they play this whole like annual income versus long term value creation, right? And so if you're going to build out your management team, I mean, if you're going from like you know, call it B players, and you're trying to upgrade to A players, I mean, it's gonna you're gonna be well the six figures potentially on a, on a, on a line of people in your executive team. So you're going to be eating in your annual profits. But I, I mentioned to him, it's whether there's a deal or no deal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I blew it. <laughs> it's more, I said, well, you know, even though you're investing more annual uh, cash flow, you'll increase your multiple because you'll get more for your company. And the family office mm-hmm. a guy said, no, it's not an increase in multiples, whether there's a deal or not. And so like, Maybe kind of, um, you know, from all the different acquisitions, what is, what is a good team look like? And then how, like, what are you looking for? So if someone's looking to build out their executive team to either keep itself running and or have the ability to sell to someone like yourself or to a, a, some other um, third party, what, what are the things that you're diving into to make sure that you're not going to have to plug and play and pull from your other resources? Yeah, a good, super question again, and in, in a in a deep one. Um, and I've seen so many vari- variations. But one of the first things I I look for, and this may seem counterintuitive, because 
you say, well, Andy, it's all about the people and the team, the team, the team. And, and, it, and it is for me personally. But what I look for in a lot of cases, when I go into a business and I meet a business owner and then I meet, meet their, first of all, when I meet the business owner, that the company is not 100% reliant on he or she to make every decision and be there every day, you know, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. or what have you. We've all seen that business owner mm-hmm. it, without without him or her. Her, it, it just doesn't move. Like they don't, they don't sell product. They don't put stuff on trucks. It just doesn't happen. So that is a clear like caution zone. When I see that, I'm like, okay, who's behind this person? Said otherwise, in a different way. When I meet a business owner and they know the business, they founded the business, they know it better than anybody, but it's not reliant on them, and they can walk me into their manufacturing zone. And I see that there's this whole system behind them and there's people and they don't need, they, 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 they can make the daily, monthly, even yearly strategic decisions without him. Then I'm, then I, then I, I, I probe a little bit deeper and I get to get to know who's behind uh, that owner. So what I mean is we get attracted personally to businesses that are going through transition, but they've already built their business to succeed without them. So mm-hmm. we're working on a transaction right now where the business owner um, spends pick a pick, you know, fifteen minutes or fifteen. I'm sorry, you know, fifteen to twenty hours a week on the business. But he's, he's built a great team, so we can walk in there and just immediately see and meet and spend time with this team that is running the business day to day. Those are the kind of variables that you look for and you say, okay, now do we like the end market? Do we like the price? Do we like the location? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and figure out whether you're going to go forward or not. Which makes a bunch of sense. And I think one of the biggest challenges that like I've experienced along with a lot of the, 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 the people on the podcast or, or our clients is like, you have this, it's a mental game, right? And I think what, what you bring an interesting perspective to this thing specifically of the owner likes to be involved until they no longer want to be, right? And I don't know, Andy, since you've been going through this this um, this brain cancer situation, has it, has it helped you be able to talk to these owners? And I don't know if you have any perspective with how many entrepreneurs you've seen God go through this of like their ability to put this all in perspective. I mean, it, because if you think it like, and I don't know if I, like, if this is making any sense, but like I have so many people where they, they ignore the future or planning cause they're such in the grind and it's just like, they can't look up. And so they're missing it. They're not building out the team or they're, they're doing all these things without any perspective. And then you have like, then it's all of a sudden too late. Right. So like, mm-hmm. like honestly, I've, I've struggled with it. We actually, uh, I'm in the process of renaming the podcast, I think called intentional growth grow the value of your business with the end in mind. And same thing with our, our boot camp, because you have to understand the end to be intentional today. And it doesn't mean you're sure. going to do it, but you're able to like make progress towards that. So like with your perspective on the, Hey, this is, you know, real finite. And this is a blessing. Like you said, like, what do you experience with these owners? Like, where's their head at? And like, how have you been able to help talk through them? Or would you, if you were able to speak to them, because they're probably tuning in. What would you say on how to balance these, the the reality of where things are? Yeah, it's uh, I've seen, as you can imagine, just <laughs> the spectrum of of sellers and people that want to sell their business. I, I feel like I've seen it all, and I, I know I haven't because I, you know, even even though being at a public health company and 
leading 14 acquisitions and doing this now for a, a small private construct. You know, I certainly haven't seen every situation, but you know, I've just seen a lot of different variations in uh, prospective sellers. And the way I cut through that is be as absolutely real as possible. And it, you know, rather than come into a business owner and try to tell them, you know, some story about how we're going to create the most value for the team and all that, I just shoot people straight. And I know that's just (laughs) so, so easy and simple to say, but Hey, I didn't go to Harvard. I, I I like to keep things simple and I like to relate. If you don't have that connection with that business owner. So the first thing I love to do in my partners and colleagues is create a meaningful relationship with, with that prospective seller and be real with them and and shoot them straight up front and tell them about what your intentions are with the business, with the employees, with the customer, with the plant down in the excruciating detail. And I've had just a lot of success um, when I've had a meaningful personal connection with a potential seller. And, and I tell them, I'm like, Hey, by the way, I have brain cancer and I, I may not be here very often. And, and I just open it up. And I think people are looking in my humble opinion they're looking for people to be real with them. And so mm-hmm. I try to be as as real and honest as I can with them and say, we love your business uh, or we wouldn't be here. Thank you for the opportunity, by the way, and just tell my personal story. And if it's in and around manufacturing or distribution, I know that I can be dangerous, dangerously helpful. I hope if it's, if it's a, if it's a new startup thing somewhere over, I'm probably not the buyer for that because I don't, I don't, I don't have the, you know, the, the background. So I don't know if I answered your question. I know I kind of wandered no, I think, around no, that. No, I think you did because like, you know, I, there's one thing that really stuck out and it's like the people being real. And actually I just got done with an interview with a guy <laughs> that is extremely real and extremely himself. And I swear to God, he was probably from your old industry. So I'll have to remember to talk <laughs> about it off offline. Um, but okay. like, you know, it is about like being real. And I think, you know, here, here's the challenge that I see in the marketplace right now is especially you have a lot of this professional money from private equity firms that are coming down. And a lot of these people, and I, and this is big generalization here. So there's really good private equity firms that are out there who are very professional, sure. but then For you sure. have, it's been so easy to raise money and people are chasing return that you have so many, you know, not experienced and, or people that they need to buy a company and then sell it to get their carried interest. So there's just a lot of people that are saying shit that they, that they don't mean. Right. And I think you have a lot of founders who tend to be way more integrated into the culture, the people, the clients, the customers, all that stuff, or because like you had to have built the company off of those relationships. So you get, there's a a high degree of, of probability that you get told something that sounds amazing, but you know, you don't, you trust, but then you don't verify because the, the seller has not gone through it before. Right. So there's a lot of the promises back behind the scenes, like, Hey, here's what we're planning on doing. And then it sounds amazing, but then it doesn't come to fruition. So I think it's like, what's interesting is that you have, you have the ability to just call what it is because of, you know, your perspective on things. And I just see people honestly get taken advantage of too often because they, they don't ask those really hard questions of what are you planning on doing with this business and how do we make sure that actually happens? Yeah, we uh, we see that often. And my best example, we actually bought a company, um, the, the same company I told you about, where I, you know, had this seizure event and found out that I had a brain brain cancer. But um, 
I, I come from the, the school of, yes, people can be naive, I can be naive, but most of us have a built-in radar system, a human radar system, I believe. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it, I call it a bullshit meter. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, go, you go to meet somebody, a business owner, that's maybe grown this business over 10, 15, 20 years, pick, pick a time period. And sometimes I think people actually think you can go in there and you know, talk them into whatever you're trying to do without being real with them. And I've had more su- success coming in, being real. My name's Andy Billman. I'm from XYZ. We love your company here. We'd like to buy it. Here's why. And then, and then tell them, tell them the truth. Like, hey, by the way, if we sign a contract for exclusivity for 90 days, it's going to absolutely suck. You're going to hate the diligence process because we're going to be down in the, and asking you all these questions that you already know and it's going to be ridiculously annoying. Are you up for that? I just mm-hmm. tell them the truth. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, th- I, I, I think most people like, okay, now we're talking, now we're, you know, being honest with each other. And I, you know, then I can step off of that and say, but we want to keep your plant. We want to keep your people. We like your people or we wouldn't be here. That doesn't mean that we're never going to move the plant. I can't sign up to that because what if we triple it and we need more space? So you just be real with people. And I think, uh, once you make that human to human connection and you're, you like the business, I think you've got higher odds of being successful. Well, in that, in that, in that whole line of thought is, have you realized, and I don't know if you have like some kind of, um, examples of things that a seller should think about and, or a buyer that's trying to get into the head of a seller is that it's not just about the money. And what I see Andy too often is that you have investment bankers and CPAs and attorneys and consultants and all these people that are approaching this world of M and a from a like very mathematical, like left brain type of project. But the reality is most founders are approaching it from an emotional perspective, (laughs) you know, and then the, the number, the numbers have to verify it. But like, you know, one of the biggest challenges I see is that people, the entrepreneur doesn't know how to weigh the emotional and like the intangible stuff with the math. Because there's been no process up until essentially our boot camp, hopefully that we're helping people with that. But like, when you get to these conversations, and you're, are you able? To like, is there themes that you have seen that like, hey, these things are important to me, and how do we get to that? Because so that way the deal actually can get done, and we can actually talk about the shit that matters instead of just the big number, which is what you know. That's the reason everybody's at the table, right? So like, like let's sure. agree, let's agree on that. But then like, what is the real stuff that matters? I mean, is there because of your situation right now and your 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 volume of experience? Is there things that tend to bubble to the top? There are, and it's 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 usually not the the price conversation as you bring up. I mean, let's face it, that's a non-starter, right? If I go right. in and try to buy it try to buy a business and I think it's worth pick a number five times trailing EBITDA and the seller says, I think it's worth seven and a half. It's a pretty short conversation, isn't it? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. okay, we're, we're, we're a field of, of barrier, but once you get through a reasonable ask and we can meet that, you know, before the, that you set that aside and then it becomes those additional conversations about access to employees and diligence process and, well, I can remember um, one very specific one where, you know, the owner, um, there was a heavy customer concentration and didn't want us to meet uh, his customers um, until we closed the deal and funded it. And I had to look at him and said to say, um, we are not buying your business unless you let us meet your big customers. It's as simple as that. So those right. are those hard conversations. Um 
wrapped around the whole, like, how do you get this deal done? And by the way, can I just insert another comment too? When a lot of people are quick to say, sellers are quick to say to potential buyers, hey, it's all about the people. And I, you know, the money's the money, but I'm, I'm here to tell you it, in, in close range. Yeah. When you get close, but if there's a big gap there, you know, in a, in a business owner, not, I'm not trying to be hard on, I, I think they're the hardest working people in America, anybody that's actually built a business and grown it. But when people tell you, you know, that, Hey, I'm, it's it's not about the value that I've created. I, I don't think they're being totally honest with you. So you got to work through all that process as a prospective buyer. So say that again, like in a different way, because I, I agree with you. I think I just for clarification purposes, because like, yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say that's the biggest thing is like, hey, it's all the people, all my employees need to keep their jobs, right? I want everybody taken care mm-hmm. of. But a lot of times people haven't articulated that, right? And this kind of goes back down to this big overarching theme um, of a guy that I love that wrote a book called Finish Big about mm-hmm. 75% of entrepreneurs are unhappy 12 months after the sale, um, regardless of how much money they got, because they didn't know what yeah. they wanted. And so they had, they never articulated that I wanted my employees to get financially rewarded or to have upside potential or to have career growth or, you know, the same kind of culture. They just didn't articulate that stuff. So maybe like kind of rephrase, like, you know, given that context, you know, do you, when you, did you mean that owners still want to have provided some value or they're, they're, they're willing, if there's a give and take between the numbers and the people that things become a little bit more real or how does, how does, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the conversation was coming kind of around like what happens once you agree yep. to price and what are, what are all the other things that you get into as a buyer and a, and a, and a seller. And I was just trying to, yep, yep. To, to, to share like one little nugget, like when a, when a potential seller says, you know, Hey, it's all about the people, but then you're way off on value. They're really not being real. With you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, it, it it really is. You know, and I had a I had a guy from private equity, Andy, that said, you know, his question as a as a PE firm because he sold his business and started a PE firm. He said, I asked someone, what is the dollar amount that I have to give you to fire everybody and shut down your company? Mm. And like, wow. so he goes, some people say nothing. <laughs> like I can't get yeah. enough. So like it's it's the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So it's like right. you know, there there it's like it's how do you figure out what that stuff is that's important? And I'm just and, you know, given the fact that you're going through this, I mean, is it your ability to kind of cut through the minutia fast? I mean, and just actually have a real conversation with these people? Do you see that it's easier or that there's it's, it I just is think for me, yeah, yeah, it, it it is, and it's a combination of just being old <laughs> or older, and and having uh, and having some experience, and then you know certainly having a new perspective ab- about life. But your earlier question was a great one, where you said like, you know, th- these owners that aren't really prepared for those next steps, and and we see that a lot. And it's typically related directly to the smaller businesses. I would call them. 10 million revenue and up, they might be solidly profitable, but they've never really had to think about, I hate using the word professionalizing because it, it denotes mm-hmm. that I'm calling calling the seller unprofessional. Unprof- and that's certainly not the case. These are very, very educated, smart, hardworking uh, folks that we typically interact with. But you're so right that often, you know, the seller will reach out to an investment banker or, or will have a uh, proprietary conversation and they haven't taken it and extended it 
further around like, hey, let me tell you about the team that I've been building for the last 10 years and here where the, here's where they are. Let mm-hmm. me tell you about my, my benefit system. Let me tell you how what I would do if I was going to try to grow this and double the business. And a lot of times they, they don't know because they, they haven't sold a business before. This is mm-hmm. their first rodeo. So you end up as a buyer. I, I'm going to use our case where we're long-term, like literally long, long-term patient capital, where you end up educating the seller through the process, sometimes to their, <laughs> to their benefit and your detriment, but you know it's better for the long-term. And I find myself in a role a lot of times as a consultant where I'm in there and helping them through the process of selling the business. And hopefully at the end of the day, they say, hey, we respect this guy and this team because they're treating us right and they're being honest with us. And they're not just trying to get the last, you know, you know, they're, they're not trying to buy my company as cheap as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's so I want to dive into the patient capital and like what is what is your guys' model and why you're doing it now and what you're seeing in the marketplace, because uh, I've interviewed two other patient capital and probably more than that because between the family office and some PE firms that are now doing this conscious capitalism with like 30 year hold periods on the money. So like, what is your guys's approach? What is like an ideal situation for you guys? And how do you balance your guys's integrity, not buy it on the cheap, you know, have a fair value exchange where someone's ready to hand it off where you don't have to gouge them and take advantage Mm -hmm. of them. And like, and then what is, what do you mean by patient capital? Well, um, let me just give you a window. We are literally 105 years long patient capital. <laughs> so wow. the capital B, the capital base that created our, our small firm is literally that, that long. And they went through a sale process back in 2016. The family did, sold the majority of it. So it created a capital event. And literally our, our, our goal as a team is to, to go thoughtfully put that capital to work. And we'd be happy to, to be able to say, now I won't be around in 105, another 105 years, but to really invest in companies that deserve to, to be around for the, the long term, And that's really difficult to buy any distribution or even a manufacturing company these days because of the obvious, because of Amazon and, you know, disruption and what have you. So we're, very, very careful, but we can actually go in. And, and I do think that resonates with potential sellers that, hey, we're, we're not trying to exit you in seven years and engineer a return. We'd be happy to own and grow this business and cash flow it forever and ever. Now, we're also honest with people. If we buy a business for $20 million, let's say, and all of a sudden the thing takes off and, and it grows and somebody comes in and says, we want to pay you $80 million, we're a seller. So I, I, mm-hmm. I want to be very, very careful about now I say we're a seller to, to the right, to the right group. And, and we're going to certainly be very thoughtful about that and make sure it's a good decision for the employees, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, well, it's, that's it's the, interesting. Cause that's very similar to like, so my partner, they did an ESAP, but then they sold three years later because they got so much more from the money that the trustee just said, you're just, it's what's right for the employees. So like yeah. there is, I mean, right, right. You just kind of have to, you have to just take perspective on everything. You do, you do. So, and I'm careful, careful about that. When I meet a, a business owner, I, I tell the story of, of who we are and where the capital came from and what we intend to do with it. At the same time, I'm honest with them to say, because they'll ask if they're inquisitive, they'll say, well, 
you intend to sell the business? I don't know because I can't foresee the future. But you know, if there's a situation where somebody else, you know, wants the business and it drives value for us and for the employees, there needs to be a lot of you know, a lot of and. It's not all about the money. What kind of money? Where's it coming from? Etc. So as we're kind of wrapping up here, like I think one question that I have for you is like, is your Speaking to entrepreneurs, whether they're looking to grow and sell or acquire and like just in the, just kind of the overall pace that we're in and as business owners and in this world that we're in, like keeping the perspective of having a plan, but also living for today at the same time. Like, what do you think without having to go through the, you know, the circumstances that you have, what, what kind of thoughts do you have? Because I know you're kind of out on the, on the, on the road now trying to get the word out. Like what, how do you, how do you keep those two things in balance? You mean the personal stuff that I'm going through as well as, you know, being an investor and capitalist and all that? Is that the question? Um, Well, let me rephrase it. That's a good, it's a good clarifying question. So like, I'm thinking of like, you know, for the, the hustle and the bustle of someone that's a capitalist, someone that was planning, you know, someone that is going through and trying to, you know, conquer their industry, their domain. And I see this to the point where like, I mean, I have 70 some year olds, Andy, who are like, oh, I'm not planning on selling. I'm like, you got to at least think about how to build this to transfer it at some point so you can enjoy your life, but also keep enjoying the game. I, cause I guess I believe maybe this comes down to like my, my core belief is that if you build it right, you can have the perfect dynamic of an awesome life and run in the company and have the ability to have options if you're doing it all right. And it takes a long time. It takes, you know, some perfect tension to have that, but I think it takes, you know, I've gone through my own exit and went through a bunch of crap or someone that has like, you know, an event issue like yours, like, someone that hasn't has a hard time understanding that, right? Like you've gone through and you've seen your nose, you're looking at mortality in the face. So how do you, what do you have as like food for thought for people that haven't experienced that? But like, you know, but do you want them to experience the the blessing that you have without the hardship? Yeah, it's uh, such a thoughtful, deep question. It's, you know, what I would tell people um, in a very simple way is keep going, keep going, don't stop. And I've had a lot of business owners and, you know, you and I have a common friend that that I've known for a very, very long time. And my humble advice to him is don't stop, continue to grow the value of your company every day when you wake up and the rest of it will kind of take care of itself. And I think about that, and it doesn't matter what whether you have brain cancer or colon cancer, or you're a business owner. Is yes, you do need to think about the future and what you're going to do with the business, and someday contemplate a sale. But I think too many people get wrapped up in that thought process, and every day they come in, and that's all they're thinking about. I got to sell my business. I got to, you know, and they're not focused on their business. And I would humbly submit. Get up every day and sure, you, you need to think about the future, but, but get in today and drive because that's the number one way to, to drive equity value if you are going to eventually sell your business is drive it hard every day and build the business and then create some optionality for yourself. And this goes back to the team. If you don't have a team that allows you to leave the after, for the afternoon on one particular day and just think. <laughs> and get your 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 head clear about okay when do I want to sell the business why do I want to sell the business what am I going to do if I do sell the business we've all heard the story of a business owner they sell the business and they're dead in a year or two because they're married to the business mm-hmm. so I like to tell 
friends and family and people that are thinking about selling their business, hey, tell me what you're going to do once you sell your business. And if they don't tell me a long list of hobbies and I'm going to run and I'm going to do a marathon and I'm going to drive a boat and I'm going to do this and I'm going to travel with my wife, then it's a recipe for disaster. We've all heard those stories before. So in... It doesn't, again, back to my personal private situation of having brain cancer. My wife thinks I'm absolutely nuts. Why are you still working so hard? Why are you getting on a plane and flying to Denver to look at this business? And I tell her that it it makes me feel normal. It makes me feel real. And it makes me feel relevant. And I, I need that. I need that work. And I would tell a business owner the same piece of advice. Keep working. Keep growing your company. Create some optionality so you can think about the future and that, and then execute. So then, which is unbelievable advice. And I, and I second what you said from the people that I've talked to who they sell and then it is like a funeral. And I think that's this kind of like right. the whole being intentional of understanding your options, how to grow value in light of where you want to go because you don't have to just sell and walk away. You know what I mean? Like there are ways to engineer an outcome where you can maybe take some chips off the table, recalibrate sure. your role, but like engineer the life that you want without having to be dramatic about it. I mean, like, I, I don't know if you've seen other people struggle with this where like they literally lose their identity, but they make a bunch of money. But like, here you are facing your brain tumor, yet you're still enjoying this when other people have made a bunch of money and they're not enjoying life while they're still healthy. <laughs> so it's like this, you know, interesting. I don't know. Life's interesting, I guess. It, it doesn't have to be a binary decision when you sell. You right. don't have to just sell your business. Here comes the money. And then I give it to my kids, my church, whatever, buy a boat. It doesn't have to be that. To your point, you can create all kinds of optionality, creative solutions. What are you after? Are you after time or are you after money or both? And sometimes it's both. So figure out how to do that. And one last thing I'll, I'll end on that um, maybe you'll get a laugh about, maybe a, a listener someday will that's, that's fighting through, you know, when I was going through this just really, really tough period with the brain cancer and they're radiating my brain and I feel like absolute dirt. You couldn't feel worse. And I walked from the cancer center many days, not every day in December 2018 to my office. And my, my wife just thought I was absolutely had lost my noodle. Like it, it wasn't a long walk. It was maybe three miles. And I did one of those fast walks. I'm a big guy. And I told her, she's like, why are you doing that? And I said, because I can, because my legs aren't broken. And it made me feel normal. And my, that's my point. If you're, if you're a CEO of a company, you don't, you don't, like, don't, you don't have to sell your company and give it away preemptively. Like prepare, get ready, where's your team? Be very thoughtful about what you want after you do potentially sell part or all of your business. I think you, you, you hit on all of the main topics that we, we adhere to. I mean, cause like it would, if it's not binary, then the stuff in between takes creative thought and it takes time. It does. You know, you can't For just sure. like, and you don't want to figure that out after the fact or when it's too late. That's right. So what, what's on the agenda for you to now? And if you want to kind of give an overarching, I think you got a book coming and some other stuff coming and uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I, I do a, a lot of uh, new news, um, you know, new things that I'm trying, including this, by the way, hopefully I, I, I passed enough the first time around, but um, <laughs> it was fun. I, 
yeah, started out um, wanting to to leave a, a memoir to my four kids. I'm just so fortunate to have two boys and two girls. And like I told you, been been married almost 29 years. And uh, my wife's, you know, absolutely my wingman and number number one. So I, I wanted to take the next step and write a book. And I'm trying to get that out in in uh, June. So stay tuned on the title there. But most people, um, if you want to get in touch with me right now, it's AJ Billman 86 at gmail and then more to come i'll certainly get you details on um i'm not a i'm not a super fan out on all the uh uh other mediums but i'll i'll rev that up and make sure people can get a hold of me at uh you know wherever instagram and we'll put your link and we'll put your linkedin 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 would be would be another uh another source too i really appreciate your time oh it's been so fun thanks so much for coming on the show you got it I hope you had a major epiphany as you were listening to that episode that life is finite and you have the ability right now to realize that one of the most useful life tips I've ever incorporated was Benjamin Franklin. When I read his biography, he explained how one third of his thoughts were about how life is finite. And at some point he won't be here anymore. He used that to calibrate all the challenges and all the things that he dealt with along the journey of his life. And I highly recommend you check out one of our two day boot camps because we use the first principle out of the five intentional growth principles to help you identify what is truly important to you and your business and how that business is integrated into your eventual legacy and what you want. And then how do you build the value of the business with the end in mind so that way you have the highest probability of getting what you want, not finan- not just financially, but also emotionally and with all the stakeholders that are in your business. Check it out. The boot camps are at arcona.io. Happy to have a conversation if you want to go through the agenda. And we've got one coming up here on April 21st and 22nd. The tickets are $5,000 for one individual and then half off for everybody after that. We just got done with one in Arizona where we had 10 people there. We had some people that brought their partners and it literally helps you shift your mindset from top line revenue and net profit to long-term value growth with the end in mind so you can get what you want. So with that being said, I will see you next week and thanks for tuning in.